The Set the Pace podcast is brought to you by New Balance, the official apparel and footwear of New York Roadrunners and the TCS New York City Marathon. And you know, one of my favorite things about marathoners is that we're not afraid to show off the fact that we run marathons. And if you haven't already, you should head to newbalance.com to check out this year's official TCS New York City Marathon collection. And for all you New Yorkers out there, you can come check out the collection in person or even take a pair of New Balance shoes for a test run at the New York Roadrunners Run Center located at 57th Street between 8th and 9th Avenues. We got tons of new colors and fits and everything from the official jacket to my new go-to daily trainer, the Fresh Foam 1080 version 13. I've been wearing these things around, not just in the gym, but just around the city, and I get tons of compliments on them. They're good looking, they're super comfortable and lightweight, and that's exactly what I'm looking for. And my favorite part is that they feature the Marathon logo and the color. So thank you to New Balance for letting my New Balance gear do the talking for me. We should also, by the way, let you know the full line will be available race week at the TCS New York City Marathon Expo presented by New Balance. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark. The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for Greta Vikes. Look at the emotion of Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line. Pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Mep Kapleski. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Set the Pace, presented by New Balance, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Simulcare, the CEO of New York Roadrunners, joined, as always, by 2009 New York City Marathon champion, Meb Kofleski. We are thrilled to have you back for another episode. This is a great one. A little later on, we've got a terrific conversation with an inspiring young woman named Noor Abu Karam. Noor is a young lady who is Muslim, and she was running a cross-country meet in high school where she lives in Ohio, and at the end of this race found out that she had been disqualified for running in a hijab, which is the uh, head covering that a lot of Muslim women wear, and she found out that she had been disqualified for running this way, and she didn't just accept this as uh, something that was unfortunate. She actually went out fought to do something about it and change the law in Ohio and really change the sport of running by doing that. A great conversation. Can't wait for that. Nor Abu Karam coming up in just a minute. But first, Meb, we are getting close to marathon time. It feels close and it is very exciting. Absolutely, Rob. It's looking fresh and exciting to get to the visualization of the New York City Marathon. It's, it's there. You know, you're at the home stretch and you kind of start imagining yourself being in New York, the travel and all that. So it's very exciting to be in. You know, running is part of great because, you know, this weekend my daughter just finished third at the uh, county cross country championship. So running is the running thing is going out strong. So looking forward to TCS New York City Marathon. Well, Matt, first of all, congratulations to your daughter. That's fantastic. Incredible finish for her. My daughter ran her first cross-country meet as well uh, in varsity last week and did really well. So always fun to see the kids succeeding. And you, know, you mentioned visualization. Uh, people are starting to think about their race now. 
And, you know, we're going to be talking about visualization a little bit later on in today's podcast. Our Meb Minute is going to focus on visualization and mental preparation as we get closer and closer to Marathon Day. So we're getting very excited. And Meb also wanted to mention that we are excited to announce we're going to be doing a live recording of Set the Pace during the TCS New York City Marathon Expo on November the 2nd, that's the Thursday of the Expo, at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be doing a live record, just me and you, Meb. We're going to be taking questions from folks, and it'll be a chance for anyone who wants to come and meet us, meet you, Meb, because no one's going to be that excited to meet me, but meet you, get a picture with Meb, say hi, get some last-minute race advice from the 2009 champion. So it's at the Expo, November 2nd, at the Citizen Stage at 4 p.m. So we'd love to see you there that Thursday to get some live recording of the Set the Pace podcast. And if you have a question that you'd like to send in for that Q&A, you can send it in anytime by emailing us at nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. That's nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. We'll answer some of the questions that we get. And again, Meb will be there to answer more questions in person. So Meb, it's getting exciting. People are going to be making their plans, coming to town, and we can't wait to meet them in person. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. And to be able to have live podcasts is going to be very exciting just to be in person and visualize the course. Or kind of, they have walked or have run the course. Now they can get a little bit of tips and last minute questions they can. And uh, But it's, it's awesome. It's just great to be able to be at the expo also, get the excitement, people coming from all walks of life or from all different world to be able to just enjoy each other, the camaraderie and to be part, have the podcast is going to be very exciting. You know, I can really feel the excitement starting to build. We're getting so close. Uh, I put out on Instagram uh, the, over the weekend, hey, we're two weeks out. You know, why are you running? And, are, you know, what, what, what's your motivation to run this year? And I got a lot of great answers. A lot of people running for charitable causes, people running in memory of someone they've lost. Um, that's always inspiring. And then I got a couple of really funny ones. You know, all their hard work and the labor of the fruit is becoming really vivid now because at the beginning, if we ask that question at the beginning of the season or the beginning of first week or second week, it's like, what did I sign up there for? But now the excitement is there. They feel that they're ready. They feel they're excited and can't wait to, in two weeks, you know, this perfect time, it's time for taper and have a great time of uh, your hard work pay off eventually. So, and guess what? This is a celebration now. You know, the hard work is done. The haze in the barn, but now st- just have, start having fun and excited to be among other people, 50 plus thousand people just to be in New York and do the same thing as you are. 26.2 miles to the five pro can't get any more excited than that. All right, Mab. Well, we can't wait to see everybody at the expo. Uh, and of course, at the starting line of the TCS New York City Marathon coming right up. Well, Mab, we've got a great conversation teed up today. Uh, an incredibly inspiring young lady by the name of Noor Alexandria Abu Karam. Uh, she is such an inspiration. What she went through in her own cross-country running journey uh, as someone who was running, uh, looking different than most runners. Um, and we're just thrilled to have her join the podcast to tell her story. Noor, great to have you on Set the Pace. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a good morning. I'm excited to be here. Meb and I are thrilled to have you. So, all right. So I want to start from the start of your story. You are growing up in Ohio. Uh, you are a Muslim woman. Um, what was it that inspired you 
to start running? Who is your role model? What was it that got you into wanting to try out for your your high school cross country team? So both my parents run actually. And when I was deciding to try out for my high school cross country team, my mom was training for the Detroit half marathon. So me and my sister and my mom doesn't let us like stay home and like sit still. We have to be on a team. We have to be doing something, some sort of sport. We can't just not do one during the fall and the spring seasons. Um, so me and my sister were like, okay, well, what are we going to do this, this season? And, um, and we always have run track. So we've always done track basically to like get faster for soccer. Um, and we were sprinters. And then, um, so then the cross country coaches always was like, you guys should join cross country, join cross country. So, um, that's really, then we were like, okay, we'll join cross country. And then also like my mom was already running and they knew a lot about it already. Like the shoes to wear, the watches to get like stuff like that. So when we joined the cross country team, they were like really excited for us. I remember my dad was like, he got me and my sister like watches to run with and like new running shoes. So they were just really excited to like for us to go on that journey and then also like something to do with them as well. So that's like really how we got into like that longer distance running. Sounds like fun. But describe to us what is like to be on a team. Um, Being on a team was it was what I love most about it. So I was actually really hesitant to like really jump into running because you think of it as being an individual sport and like, you know, it's something you do on your own. And I was a soccer player. So I loved the team atmosphere, but joining the high school cross country team and like really getting into like that running community, I like really found the love there and you find so much um, like positivity and community in the Toledo running community here. Um, so I, I ended up really, really loving it and really loving the team atmosphere, even though I was so hesitant at first and I didn't really expect it. But then you realize and then growing up and growing into the running community, um, you know, like the local running community and then the greater running community, you really start to see like it's actually a really positive place and a really beautiful environment. You know, cross country is very special. Um, you'd be able to, it's a team effort, even though like you described mm-hmm. as individual, but the least score wins. So you have, exactly. to, maxim- you have to maximize each individual's uh, energy to get to that finish mm-hmm. line as fast as possible and encourage each other. Describe to us, you know, getting to that finish line, maybe sometimes, hey, I can do this or encouraging your teammate. And then cooling down together and all that, that what happens yeah. afterward. Can you describe that for yeah. us? Mm-hmm. So once I learned the rules of cross country and like you said, how like the points work and everything like that, then you start to realize this is a team effort and we all have to be there for each other and like make sure that we all are having the greatest race. So sometimes like you'll see, like we'll be running, um, and, you know, one of us will notice when they're not having the same race. Let's say two of us, we normally run together. And we'll notice that one of them is really not having the best race. You know that you probably have to like pick up the pace a little bit more to make up for their points. And then afterwards, you know, you've crossed the finish line and maybe you're talking to your teammate. Oh, I didn't have my best race. And it's like, oh, it's fine. We still did well. We still got to this place. And, and sometimes it's not about running as fast as you can, but about doing your best as a team and making sure you all like rack up those points the well, as best as you can. And then, um, and then at the end, you know, we all just like cool down and we always, always like rehash the race, every single turn, every step, the person that was cheering us on in that one corner, like how that made us feel. And then, you know, the bus ride home is always, is always so much fun, depending on how the race went. Yep. I ran high school cross country a couple of years. I I remember it well. It's a, it's a weird mix between Mm -hmm. an individual sport and a team sport. And so that's one of the things that makes it unique. Okay. So Nora, let's get to your 
the, the beginning of your story, uh, really as an activist, right? Which is, of course, yeah. this meet in 2019. Uh, you show up, you are, as you presumably had always done, right? We're running in your hijab uh, as a Muslim woman. Um, talk about what happened. You, you had a pretty good race that day, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was like, at the time, it was my greatest race. I I wasn't running varsity much. I was running a few varsity races, but it was always between me and this one girl, like every week, like she would run faster or I would run faster. Um, so when it came to the districts, I was finally like, I secured that spot on varsity and I was able to run districts. And so that was just, it, to me, that was so important. 16 year old me, that was the biggest thing in my entire life. I was ready for it. We were, um, I remember at warmups, we were playing like hype music and we were all just so ready for this race. And um, as soon as the gun went off, it was like adrenaline, like immediately the whole race. I remember like all three miles, it was pure adrenaline, like um, just a complete high. And then I crossed the finish line and I saw my time. I was very happy with myself. Um, and then I went to go check my our individual placings because we had heard that we advanced to regionals as a team. So we advanced to regionals and um, and then that's when I realized that my name was on the list and that I was disqualified. And that's what really sparked that, I guess, that activism in me because I heard those words because of your hijab. And those are words I never thought I'd ever hear. And so when I heard them, it like struck something in me and it immediately made me want to you know, make sure no one else has to hear those words, especially my little sister. So she was my anchor. And it was like, if she ever has to hear those words, um, then we have a problem. So, so. the rule that, that had come into play, Noor, was it, it, was it that you weren't allowed to run in a hijab? Because you'd been running in one previously. So what was different about this race that you ran in a hijab? Why were you disqualified for this one? Okay, so the only difference with this race is that they were I, I want to say like being more of a stickler about the rules. So the rule has always been in place that basically the problem with the hijab was what they said. It was a uniform violation. So I had basically had a change in the uniform um, is, is what the rule was. And so because I had a change in the uniform, they needed a waiver um, from my coach to be signed. And basically every race you needed to have that waiver signed by the coach sent to the Ohio Athletic Association and sent back before every race. And um, they just never enforced that rule, I guess, before the districts. And then at the districts, when they told my coach, my coach was like, we never like had to do this before. She's raced in other races mm. before. Why are you doing this now? Um, and it's just that they were being more, I guess, like strict about the rules or something. And then, um, and yeah, so that's basically what it was, is that I didn't have the waiver signed. And that's ultimately what got me disqualified. And that waiver policy is no longer in place at the Ohio Athletic Association because it's what they said is that we will sign it 100% of the time. So it's like, okay, well, then why do we need the waiver? You know, records are made to be broken, but there's some records that are way out of the limelight or way in the stars. So your sister was the motivation or the anchor that you say, um, mm -hmm. what triggered you that moment to just say it's now or never and not seeing your name and having your sister as the young ones. And what was your mental process say? So being completely transparent, when my teammates told me that I had been disqualified because of my hijab, I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel like anything like that. What I felt was I was very embarrassed. I was humiliated. These were these girls that don't look like me. We don't have a lot in common at all, except for that we run together. 
And so that was taken away from me. And I was just, I, I just wanted to cry. I was just very sad in that moment. And just like, you know, as a 16 year old girl, you just want to fit in sometimes. And they took that from me. So, um, so in that moment, it was just, it was a lot of humiliation. And it wasn't until two days after that my older sister was talking to me and she said, nor we have a responsibility to the next generation of young Muslim athletes that want to run. And she was like, in the end of the day, it's not about us. It's not about how we feel in this moment because this will pass. You know what I mean? Eventually I'm not going to see those girls again. She's like, eventually you're going to graduate high school and it's going to be okay. All of this will pass and you'll be in a different place. So it's our, this is the time that we need to speak up. So it was my older sister that gave me that push um, to, to go on and tell my story. But it wasn't until like three or four days after that I decided that because like I said, I was in this state of like, just like not wanting to talk about it. Don't talk to me about it. You know, I was 16. And what's incredible, Nora, about your story is so many young people would have that situation. They may even decide, okay, I'm going to do something about this. And then, you know, the energy fades away. They get distracted by other things and they mm-hmm. kind of forget about it. But you did not do that. Uh, you and your sister did not do that. You kept going and you found your way going all the way to the Ohio State mm-hmm. Legislature and making yeah. a change. Talk about that. When did you first make that journey to the Ohio State House? And how did you go about the process of actually changing the law? So I went to the Ohio State House for the first time, February 2020. And a few month prior to that, I met with Senator Teresa Gabrone um, for coffee. And I didn't think much of it, just that we're just going to have coffee and chat, maybe take a picture. I don't know. So, um, but during that time, I had told her about my story and, um, and, and coincidentally, that same day, OSHA had made rules to their waiver policy um, and to their rules about hijab, but they weren't rules that we, we thought were substantial. And we showed Senator Teresa that, and as a lawmaker herself, she immediately saw the holes and the problems in that. So she immediately got to work. And then um, a week later, she calls my mom on her personal cell phone and was like, we drafted the bill. Um, we're going to email you it and tell us what you think. So we looked at the bill and it was it was perfect. So it prohibits organizations from implementing discriminatory policies on the basis of religion for any interscholastic activities. So it's not just sports, it's debate, it's chess, it's anything that you may want to express your religion in and you should be able to do so. So that's what the law covers. So I went to go testify for the first time in front of the committee, um, I think maybe March. And, um, and then after that, the bill died. So because of COVID, all of the COVID laws took precedence. So the bill pretty much like died out. And what we thought was, okay, it's fine. Like sometimes just like the introduction of a bill is enough um, to make some meaningful change. And then April, 2022, I was at a track race and I was asked for a waiver. And I was like, no, 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 very confidently. I was like, I do not need a waiver. And the official was like, yeah, you do, but we'll let you go this time. And I remember I was running the 1600 meter relay and I ran my laps like with tears running down my face because I just did not understand what was going on. This was two years after I was disqualified. I was like, why is this happening to me? What's going on? Um, and I remember I finished the race and, and then I was, went to go run another race. I think it was the, it was the mile. And then the official asked me the same thing. And I was like, I don't need a waiver. Like, I know that I don't need a waiver. And then, um, so I talked to my mom and then that same day we called Senator Teresa and we said, we need a law because one thing that we realized is that rule books are subject to change 
but I'm not, I'm not subject to change. I don't have mm. to change anything, but the rule books are constantly changing. Yep. And, um, and interpretation and enforcement is yes. different, right? Depending sometimes on mm-hmm. who you're with and, you know, the, the mood or the viewpoint of the person who's enforcing the rule book. Yes. So what we decided was the law is needed and it's needed so badly because the rule books are so easy to change. I swear they like write it in pencil and then they can erase it. Um, and, and that's what it seems like the way that they were changing the rules at the Ohio Athletic Association. So, but laws, laws, you have to go through committee. You have to go through like seven different steps before you can change a law. And so that's what we, um, decided with Senator Teresa. And that's when we decided to reintroduce the bill. And then it passed, um, it passed into law in, um, 20, February, 2023. That's amazing. The pioneer that you are. What was the pressure going to the state house, though? You know, at that moment when you have to make that decision, be in court and tell your stories. Can you tell us? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So the first time I went to the state house, I was extremely nervous. So again, I was still just 16 um, and I was very nervous. And I remember Senator Teresa told me she was like, you're just you're telling your story. She's like, you've done it a million times. Just tell them your story. They want to just hear your story. And so that's what I did the first time. The third time I went in, though, to, to testify, I was a much different person. I was a freshman in college. I had, um, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? I was much different than I was when I was 16 the first time I went to go testify. And uh, at that point, um, when I went to go testify the last time, the House actually were not, they didn't like like the bill as much. They had more questions. They had, they had a little bit more pushback than the Senate did. So when I went to go testify in front of the House, I knew that I was going there to really convince them and not just tell my story. And, and like I said earlier, I was there to tell them that these rule books are subject to change and that laws aren't and that I'm not. And so that's what I went to convince them of and not necessarily just tell my story, even though I think the power of storytelling and dialogue is extremely strong. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was very different the third time I went. Hey, runners, get ready to go the extra mile on the Peloton tread with walking, running, hiking, boot camp classes, and more. Whether you want cardio or strength training, Peloton tread will get you moving toward your next goal. Shop Peloton tread today at OnePeloton.com. Peloton, the brand new digital fitness partner of the TCS New York City Marathon. What about opposition, Nor? Uh, d- did you encounter a lot of opposition to this? I, you know, I know, unfortunately, you know, listen, there are people out there with a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of prejudices out there on, on topics like this. Um, you're active on social media. You've got a great following there. And we all know how people can be on social media sometimes. You know, they, they'll yeah. say all kinds of things, especially behind the veil of anonymity. What kind of experiences and opposition did you experience along the way? Okay, so um, first I'll say in the House, in the Senate, the bill passed unanimously. Which is so amazing. It was a unanimous yes votes, which is amazing. Um, but and as when it comes to like, I guess, public opposition, I love social media and I spend a lot of time on my Instagram. I have no haters on Instagram. Um, if I do, I block them. And, uh, but Facebook is another beast and I do not run my Facebook. My mom runs my Facebook. I don't look at my Facebook. I don't post on it. I said, mom, you can do this. You can deal with 
the people on Facebook. Cause what I've, my mom knows that people on Facebook are much meaner. Um, so if there are haters on Facebook, they're there. I don't read about it. I don't look at them, but I do remember when Senator Teresa first introduced the bill, she was getting a lot of pushback from her followers, like, um, a, a lot of opposition. And I remember she called my mom at night, um, and was like, is Nor seeing these comments? I hope she's not seeing these comments. They're horrible. I can't believe people are saying this. And my mom was like, well, first of all, Nor doesn't get on Facebook, so she's not seeing the comments. Um, and, but also this is just like a window into the reality that we have to face every day. Um, this opposition that Senator Teresa was getting. So it's very interesting to look at, but when it came to the Senate and the House, it was a unanimous yes vote. And that's, that's what matters. Why do you think you were able to galvanize such unanimity around something like this? Do you think it's something about the fact that it's sports and that people can relate to the fact that everybody should have the right to play and compete? Mm -hmm. So one thing I've learned while telling my story is that everyone can relate on a different level. So Senator Teresa, how she related was that she's a mom um, of kids that played sports. And she was like, I couldn't imagine this happening to my children. So that's what that's what led her to, like, push this bill forward and and to introduce it. And then also she was um, I think that she was just the perfect person to introduce it because she is such a strong presence in the House and in the Senate. So um, just having her support was really strong. And then also, I think one thing that we realized, one thing that I've learned that caught me off guard is that um, I'm a constituent of these people and I live in their state. And once you learn that they're working for you and they're they're, they're there to help you, um, then you can go in and you can tell your stories with confidence. It sounds like a team sport, per yes. se. You know, like mm-hmm. a cross country, you got to huddle and you have to walk the same walk. But at the same time, pressure is pressure. It's not like racing, but... Once you open up that kind of warm and you advocate, you're going to be able to say, hey, I got to do this. What does that for you, the pressure? I know you said naysayers or haters. You can't avoid it at all costs. But, you know, you tell us your story. But at the same time, what would be like something that sometimes you're there to be able to just say, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I not do it? What motivates you to keep going? Because once it's open, it's open. Yeah. Once I told my story, and I, I know that this isn't necessarily like, true, but it's just how I felt um, that once I told my story, I felt like I was being held accountable by the people I was telling my story to, to make meaningful change. So um, I would go to like messages and I would talk to young Muslim girls about my story. Um, and then to be able at the end to tell them that I passed the law and that this won't happen to them. Um, that, that to me was like, was the, like the push and like to say that, no, I've, I've already told this story. I have to see this through. Um, you know, kind of like, so I've, I've ran two marathons now. And, um, what I've learned is that you, you really can't like turn around, um, because you've already gone so far in and, uh, and that's really what I've learned, um, you know, going through the law process and like that same strength that got me through passing this law is the same strength that got me through running a marathon. And it's all the same thing at the end of the day, I think. Which marathons have you run? So I've ran the New York City Marathon yeah. and uh, the London Marathon. All right. And, and, and how was the New York experience? It was, um, it was really hard. So I ran it last year, November 2022. It was very hot. Um, but I, the we city, all know. Man, we like, all know. It was hot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was very hot. But the city was like, I mean, I ran London and the weather conditions were much better. And the course was like much easier than New York. But the people in New York, like you can't beat it. 
You cannot mm-hmm. beat it. Oh, Meb knows. Yeah, we we both know. Absolutely. Meb, who won the thing. Yeah. Uh, we, we know yeah. about the energy that the New York crowd brings. Absolutely. Um, you know, one question I wanted to ask about, speaking about the heat, and this is a practical question, actually, and probably sort of a dumb one, but I've never run, mm-hmm. you know, down the street in a hijab. I've, I've run in a hat yeah. when the weather's cold. But, you know, when you're on a hot, humid day like that, how did the, how does that impact you and 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 what do you do yeah. to 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 make it comfortable and possible for yourself mm-hmm. to run effectively when you're wearing a head covering no that's a real question because it's like it's a real like you have to basically figure out what you're comfortable with and what what you like what you don't like so what i'm wearing right now is actually a sports hijab um and it's from hot hijab which is a which is a hijab company actually based in new york and um, the technology on this is that it actually cools your skin. So it makes your skin, I think, two degrees cooler when you're mm-hmm. wearing it. So I'll wear this brand on the hot day. So I wore it in New York and I knew going into it, I was like, I need to wear the hot hijab brand. There's many different brands. There's a Nike, there's Adidas, there's Under Armour. Um, but, you know, on that day, I had to make a decision which one I'm going to wear. And it was really just about which is going to keep me the coolest um, for that day. And so I wore this one. And then also just like, you know, knowing yourself, wearing the right like tops. I remember going into the marathon. We thought it was going to be cold because it was November. So um, so I remember I bought like a top and it was like a warmer knit top, kind of more knit. Um, I was like, oh, I cannot wear that. <laughs> so I had to go and I had to change what I was going to wear. But now there's like there's so many options, I think. And the cooling technology in clothes now is like is real and it's there. You know, that's a respect that hijab uh, to wear that in a in a Ohio or in a warm mm-hmm. weather. It's mm-hmm. difficult, and that's more yes. respect and understanding. Tell us about the marathon and what that parallels with life or with the challenges that you went through, you know, as a 16-year-old to now. Yeah. The marathon is tough, but how was that compared to what you went through in life comparison? Running the marathon, my motto throughout the whole thing was I'm strong. And I had to just keep telling myself that I'm strong, I'm strong. So I told my story and I think telling the story, I didn't realize it until a few years later, because at the time you're just doing it in the moment. Um, but telling that story, it took me through that strength. It was a three year process to pass the law. Um, and I think that, you know, you can see that that's a marathon. You know what I mean? That's a long time. It's not a sprint. Um, and, and you need strength to keep you pushing and keep you going through that. And so I took that same strength that took me through the past three years And I took that with me to the marathon and I ran the marathon with my story strapped to my back because I was running in my hijab and you never know you're running with someone. Why are you wearing that? And then I get the opportunity to tell them and I get the opportunity to tell my story. And to me, that's so beautiful being able to run 26 miles around the greatest city in the world. You know, that's the same thing. And telling my story in that way is the same thing as telling my story in the past three years on podcasts or interviews. It's amazing. And, and we thank you for joining us again today to talk about it. So I want to talk about what happened since all of this. You, you are now a student at the Ohio State University, uh, <laughs> which we all, uh, that was for you, Nora. I know, I know we have to say that. Um, I appreciate it. Absolutely. But you were able to pass this law in Ohio. What about the rest of the country? Um, are other Nors out there trying to get laws like this passed? How many states do have laws like this or, or how many need them? What, what can you tell us about the state of play for Muslim women throughout the rest of the United States when it comes to being able to, to run in their, in, in their head coverings? Yeah. So it's a goal of mine to get the similar laws passed in other states. 
And I don't know if you've heard of CARE, but they're, uh, they're a nonprofit organization and they take a lot of cases like my own and um, they'll, they'll go through legal processes with them. And so when I passed the bill, what they did was they took the same language in my bill and they basically, whenever they heard about a case like mine, because for a lot of Muslims in America, when they have a case similar to mine or face any sort of discrimination, the first people that they go to is CARE. And I remember when I got disqualified, people were DMing me, did you tell CARE? Did you tell CARE? Um, and so, so they are like usually the first line of like contact that people will go to. And so whenever they hear a case similar to mine, they'll go and they'll take that bill and, um, and they'll have it, they'll try to have it reintroduced in the different states other than Ohio. So right now they have passed laws in the state of Maryland and Indiana, um, both in which had cases similar to mine and they were able to go in and testify and tell their story. Um, and to me, I think that's, that's what we need to do. And that's why we have to continue this, this storytelling and this dialogue and continue telling these stories. Cause I think that they're much more common than we think. It's not just a freak accident that happened to me in the middle of Ohio, but it happens all the time to hijabi athletes. And as we continue to tell these stories, we can continue to get bills like this passed because um, then state legislators, they can see that, oh, this is a problem in my state and a problem with my constituents. Let's have it passed here as well. Well, you have won the race, run to, I always say run to win doesn't mean get in first place by getting the best out of yourself. And you yes. have done that. And somebody like Nelson Mandela, the president of South Africa said, mm -hmm. sports unites us more than anything else does. And you have done that. Now, who do you look up to as a role model to help you do that, to go to pass the laws in the United States in many states? Oh, that's a tough question. I think that, um, okay, so I have a lot of like mentors and a lot of role models. And when I was first disqualified, I met um, Bilqis Abdel Qadir, who is, um, she was the first hijab wearing NCAA D1 basketball player. And uh, she, when she was going to go and play professional, FIBA had rules against headwear. So she couldn't continue playing basketball. Um, and I met her when right, you know, very shortly after I was disqualified and she's like going on, I don't know how many years later, I think she was dis she, she wasn't able to play anymore in 2016. So this is a lot of years later now. And I was like, man, if she's still telling her story and she's still fighting for change and so can I, and I always look up to her, um, and always look up to her journey and how she's, you know, continuing on because sometimes you get tired and sometimes like, man, I just don't want to. I don't want to continue telling this, but then I look to her and I see that she was able to make so much meaningful change just by telling her story mm -hmm. um, and continuing to do so even after, you know, so many years of doing so. So she's one of my role models, I would say. That's awesome. As a, you know, to do the marathon, especially New York City marathon, you know, it's the melting pot of the world. So I'm pretty sure your hijab was pretty well accept it or be able to cheer you on, you know, because, you know, it's the universe of oh, the yeah. world. So to be able to do that, but uh, role models are important and mentors are important and to help you do that, that's uh, incredible. And, uh, uh, you know, wish you think it be, there'd be a lot of more Nora coming up everywhere. So you are going to be a role yeah. model going forward. So thank you very much. I really hope so. I remember running the New York city marathon and just like, cause running London was so different guys. I can't even like explain it because the people were just not the same. Um, but I remember running New York and, you know, I would see Muslims cheering me on and, um, Muslims like greeting that we have to each other is assalamu alaikum, which means peace, peace and blessings to you. So I would be running and I would see a hijabi on the sideline cheering on. And I would, I would look at her, like straighten her eyes and be like, assalamu alaikum. And she would like 
salams back to me. So just like, man, the crowd was just like, it was, it was beautiful. It's amazing. It's definitely amazing. So if there's a young Muslim woman out there who's, you know, thinking about sports and, and worried about being able to play in a hijab, uh, whether it's running or some other sport, you know, maybe they don't live in a state like Ohio that has a law like this already. What, what would you tell them? What advice would you give? So I would say that you can't compromise yourself to make other people around you more comfortable because sports is there to celebrate diversity. Um, no matter how, how it may seem, that's what it's for. You look at the Olympics and it's, it's all these different countries coming together and they're competing and it's, it's the most beautiful display of diversity, right? So, um, so I think that when you look at that, you look at the, if the greatest athletes can come together um, and, and compete with each other and, and it doesn't matter how they look, then, you know, so can we in small town, you know, Sylvania, Ohio, um, because like at the end of the day, it's just about how you're running. It's just about how you're playing, how you're shooting your ball. And, and, you know, it's just there to have fun. And I think every kid deserves to play sport. Um, knowing what I got from it, knowing what, seeing what my younger siblings are getting from it. You know what I mean? No matter if you're the greatest in the world or you're, you know, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how good you are. None of that matters. Um, just because the, the other, the things that you can get from sport and the confidence that it gives you, um, going through it is 100% worth it. And that's what I tell like girls all the time. I see them. I see girls all the time. They'll come to me and they'll tell me like, Nora, I don't want to know if I, I'm starting to wear hijab. I don't know if I want to play anymore. I'm like, girl, you just got to get through it. You just have to get through it because the, the reward is one of the greatest things. Well, you, you're, you're just such a great example of just that, right? Just get through it. Just keep going. And I say that all the time about running, right? And what the, what the mm -hmm. great lesson that people mm -hmm. get from running is, is just to keep going and get through it. You know, that painful stretch in a race or whatever it is. And you have really exemplified that. You have done it in so many ways. Uh, Noor, okay. thank you so much for, for joining thank us you. on the Set the Pace. And we, we look forward to seeing you back in New York soon. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you so much, Meb. It was so great to meet you guys. Now it's time for today's Meb Minute. And we are getting so close to the start of the TCS New York City Marathon. When you listen to this, we'll be inside of 10 days. Meb, the runners we've got coming to New York are all starting to really think about their race. How do you recommend they get themselves mentally right? They've put in the physical work. Now it's the mental side of the run that they've got to start focusing on. What's your advice for getting mentally prepared to get to that starting line? Rob, in preparation, I believe is 90% physical, 10% mental. Now the light switches to 90% mental and 10% physical because you have done all the hard work, the mileage, the sacrifice. Now it's a celebration. Just how do you think positively in the moment to go through the TCS New York City Marathon? You know, how do you visualize yourself working up into the morning, eating what you need to eat, getting the bus to the starting line, and now visualizing yourself, I am here. The place that I want to be, the train that I have done, how can I conquer my own plans to go 26.2 uh, miles into Central Park? I always tell people, visualize yourself running the hills or the bridges. Now the visualization meets the reality. Be patient, be confident, and most importantly, have fun. Make the friend from internationally. You are there to do the same thing and make friends like I said in one of the early episodes. Just be able to just share stories. Hey, what pace are you going? So this is 
what the you know what the, the where everything comes together and you're there to be supported by all the New York Roadrunner staff and then sponsors. You have hydration, you got drinks, you got support. It's time to celebrate. And I think it's just now don't take anything for granted. No, you need to optimize your training and make yourself proud. So come Monday, you can wear that medal on your neck proudly and get to that finish line as strong as possible. I always tell people, save something for Central Park. You want to enjoy that. There's so many people there. Uh, cheering you on the color of the trees changing so it's time it's time to go time and i think it's great to be able to just be mentally right and thus now be able to just enjoy each other and enjoy the moment visualization that is key and you know we actually do help our runners visualize their race a little bit at the tcs new york city marathon expo when you get to the expo you'll notice we have a place called the course strategy which is a show that kind of runs every hour or so. And you can actually see the course. Um, we visualize the course for you, tell you exactly how it goes. And we've got coaches there that will help runners get mentally prepared to know what's coming at them for those 26.2 miles. I highly recommend a visit to that coaching lab at the TCS New York, New York City Marathon Expo. And I also recommend for those of you who will be in town on Thursday to come and visit me and Meb at 4 p.m. on Thursday. We'll have a live recording of Set the Pace. We'll take your questions. You can send your questions in ahead of time at nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. But send in your questions. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to meet you in person again Thursday of Expo Week at 4 o'clock Eastern time. So look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, that's it for this episode of Set the Pace. Thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.